This past Sunday, or past Monday, I was uh, with a group of pastors in the Anglican Church. Actually, the Archbishop of uh, the Anglican Church in North America was with us, Foley Beach. It was a time of uh, uh, some broad subjects, but also some personal reflections. One of the questions that we reflected on, our convener asked of us was, so pastors, what keeps you up at night? Well, uh, aside from a few luminaries like the uh, Archbishop of, uh, of the Anglican Church, most of us were of a similar age, around early 40s. Most of us were involved in uh, planting and leading a church. And so you can imagine there were some similarities to this response. What keeps you up at night? And uh, with a little bit of simplification, the general response to that question was this. The fear that this coming Sunday would be the last one. The fear that this would be the Sunday that for whatever reason we would all forget to set our alarm clocks and it would just be me and my wife in the, in the church. Uh, the fear that the, the Sunday's sermon would be the one in which the wheels finally come off. Uh, just a dud from which no parish could ever recover. And I am, of course, stating this with a bit of hyperbole, but that was it. The fear that this is going to be it. Anxiety. It is a universal problem for all adults. Anxiety is no respecter of a profession. Uh, anxiety, anxiety is no respecter of man or woman, uh, religious or irreligious. Anxiety is a universal problem, a universal reality. Anxiety is a timeless problem. I mean, think about it. Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, and his words then are as applicable now, if not more than ever. If anything, we're more anxious now than they were. It's a universal problem. It's a timeless problem. Finally, it's a dangerous problem. One of the, as I mentioned, most of us were around the same age. There were a few people uh, who had a few more years, and one person just a little bit older than us said, look, as he heard all these uh, young, young 40, I guess not so young anymore, but these 40-year-old pastors opine about the sources of their anxiety, this fellow said, look, guys, if you don't manage to your anxiety, if you don't figure out your anxiety, you're going to start medicating it. And all of us were a little bit taken aback. Medicating. And unfortunately, this person, this uh, older pastor, spoke from very personal experience. He had been a very prominent leader in the church uh, and sadly became addicted to opioids. In part, this addiction was an attempt to do just what he warned us of, to medicate his anxiety. Now, that was a severe example, but it caught my attention because I think each one of us if we didn't see ourselves on that particular path, we at least saw in ourselves that potential. And I bet the same is true for you. I bet each one of us has dealt with our anxieties in ways which are just less than healthy. Now, medicating may be a little bit severe, but the steps we take to deal with our anxiety, I think for each one of us, if, if not kept in check, could lead to very dangerous places. Anxiety is dangerous. It's universal. It's timeless. It's dangerous. I think the final opening thought about uh, anxiety before we, before we turn to our passage is that anxiety is not inevitable. 
You know, I think most of us, we go to bed with a pit in our stomach, we wake up with a pit in our stomach, and we think, well, that's just the way life is. That's just the, the circumstances that I'm facing. There's nothing that I can do or can be done about it. That's just reality. It's not. Now, Jesus says very clearly that you and I are going to face trouble. Trouble's a given for everybody. Anxiety is not. You see, apparently you and I can respond to anxiety in ways, pardon me, we can respond to ways to our trouble in ways that aren't anxious. A matter of fact, one of the distinguishing marks of the followers of Christ is to be our lack of anxiety. I don't know if you caught that in verse 30. For all the nations of the world, meaning people who, who that's referring to people who don't know Jesus, all the nations of the world, they, they run after these things. They're anxious about these things, but not you. I just wonder how I'm doing, how you're doing, if you were to stack me up to, uh, to anybody that's not a part of the church, would there be any noticeable difference between my level of anxiety and theirs? I'm just not confident in that answer, but I wish I were. I wish I had less anxiety in my life, and I bet you do too. And so with that, let's turn to what Jesus has to say. It's a great passage. You may be familiar with it. I think we can learn or draw just three points. There's certainly more in this passage than just these three observations that I'll make. But for our consideration this morning, Jesus is going to tell us. First thing he does, he's going to tell us about his, our anxiety, to tell us what, how to manage our anxiety. Secondly, he's going to, we're going to consider how he speaks to us. We're going, so, Backing up. He's going to speak to us about our anxiety. That's going to be the first one we consider. Secondly, we're going to consider how he speaks to us, his tone of voice. It may sound a little bit obscure. It'll make sense when we get to there. And thirdly, we're going to think about some of the implications of listening to what he has to say. So first, what does Jesus say about our anxiety? So I'm in verse 23. Let's follow along. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. Jesus is speaking to farmers and fishermen whose primary concern was where the next meal would come from. And to these people, that was their anxiety, that was their concern. He says this, your life is more than food. Your life is more than clothing. Now, your primary concern is not likely the, where your next meal is going to come from. Regardless, uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're worried about, Jesus' words apply to you. What's keeping you up in the middle of the night? Why can't you go to sleep? Whatever you're worried about, your life is more than that. It is. Life is more than. There's more to it. I don't know about you, but I've often found that anxiety acts a little bit like the ooze from B-rated horror movies in that it just fills the space. It just occupies my energy, it occupies my emotions, it occupies my imagination so that I have that much less for everything else. That means I get short with my family, I become abrupt and brusque with my, with my children. Why? Because there's just that little much less space. Because anxiety has exceeded, the causes of my anxiety has ex have exceeded their boundaries. And so the first thing that Jesus does is he gives us perspective to look at the causes of our anxiety. Life is more than that. Second thing he does is he gives us the perspective which to view the effectiveness of anxiety. Again, follow along with me. Verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? That makes it sound like uh, adding time uh, to your life. 
That's probably actually a mistranslation. What Jesus is implying here is, which one of you can add any height? A span is a measurement of six inches about. Which of you can add six inches? And given the context of God makes lilies grow and God makes the grass to grow, which of you, by your anxiety, can cause yourself to grow six inches? Again, drawing our attention to the fruitlessness of anxiety. It is a waste of time. So what does Jesus say about our anxiety? Number one, he places its cause in its proper perspective. Life is more than. Secondly, he places the effectiveness of, its, of anxiety in its proper perspective. What does the anxiety do for you? Not much. And this is good advice. These are things I need to hear. And I'll bet they're things that you have thought of. And I'll bet you have read books about managing anxiety. And you have come across similar encouragements. I'm just a little bit dubious that what we need to really get on top of our anxiety is a little bit, bit uh, more advice. Some better habits. You see, I, I know, and you know, right, that the energy I'm giving to whatever is causing my anxiety is disproportionate. I know it's the, the green ooze. That does very little to mitigate uh, my anxiety. I know, and you know, that anxiety does very little, don't you? How effective has that been in getting you off the mental hamster wheel at 2 a.m. in the morning? Not. Not at all. You see, what we need to hear is not so much what Jesus says about our anxiety, although it is good and wise and true. What we need to hear is how Jesus speaks to us. Have you ever heard what your parents say? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Let's consider this. How does Jesus speak to you and me? He calls you and me something. He calls you and me his little flock. Verse 32. His little flock. Singular, we call that, he calls us his little lamb. His little sheep. Now, just ponder with me. What is the only human relationship and context when you could imagine someone else calling another person their little lamb? Or, in the plural, their little flock. What's the only occasion when you could even speculate that you'd hear those words addressed to another? Anyone have an answer? I'll tell you when. You would only hear those words as a parent, from a parent, dress, addressing their little child as they put that little child down to bed, as they kiss that little child on the forehead. In that setting, you would hear someone say, fear not, my little flock, fear not, my little lamb. Jesus is addressing you and me as a frail and frightened little child. I think I've shared with some of you that I'm a, an aspiring poet, and since no one has shown interest, any interest, and I mean no interest, in publicizing any of my poems, you... My little flock are, are the, uh, <laughs> the unfortunate recipients of all my poetic endeavors. So, disclaimer, this does not rhyme, um, but it was a poem I wrote in my early 30s. And we had just purchased our, our first condo. Uh, we had a mortgage. We had a child and probably another one on the way. And uh, all of a sudden, it was, it was like we were adults 
but, but no one had given us the warning, right? It's all of a sudden one day you wake up and you think, oh my goodness, like people, I'm responsible for people and people are looking to me to make decisions and I've got a mortgage and, and all these things that you thought applied to adulthood and you just thought you would be much more prepared for that moment when it came. And so this poem is called One of Them. I have become one of them, one of the undifferentiated ones who flusters the younger with the reverence due my age. Isn't that true if you're like eight, nine? Like everybody's just old. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm an undifferentiated. I'm just old. I'm an adult. I am one of those that I wanted to be, one who has no bedtime and finally sleeps free from the dreams of hypothetical futures and then wakes to responsible cereal. Isn't that a tragedy? <laughs> All you want to do when you're a kid is to have Fruit Loops. And then you become old enough and you realize, I can't have Fruit Loops. I become one of them who wakes to responsible cereal. I'm one of those who know the burden of all answers and no questions, the world resting gently on my shoulders, like one of those Greek gods, arms wide, to balance the weight, crossing the street without my father's hand. And what I was trying to convey, and I hope have conveyed, is a sense that you just, you still kind of want a father's hand to hold. All these adult-like responsibilities and adult-like expectations. You know, we just don't feel like an adult. So try this on as a definition of adulthood. Or a distinction. How about a distinction of adulthood? Adults worry. Children don't. One of our friends has a, a sick daughter. Uh, many of you are praying for her. Uh, this person, the parents are very worried. Uh, we're very worried. Her family's very worried. There are a lot of people who are very worried. Uh, there's one person that, as far as I can tell, has been pretty immune, pretty free from worry, and that is the sick daughter. Why? She's not, she's not unaware of her condition. It's quite serious, and she's aware of that. She's not unconcerned. She's concerned. But as far as I can tell, she's not worried. Want to know why? Probably because every evening when she goes to bed, one of her parents tells her something very similar to what Jesus tells you and me. Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid. Jesus is not speaking to us. I mean, how do you hear these words, fear not? Don't be anxious. Do you hear them as a teacher addressing a class, giving a couple of principles? Do you hear these words as a, a therapist talking to a counselor, talk, talking to the counselee, offering some helpful words to help you get through a rough spot in life? Jesus does not speak to you and me as a teacher nor as a therapist. He's speaking to us as a father would speak to the fragile, their frail, fragile, and frightened children. Assuring them it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. And like a parent, he offers his reassurance. This is a great verse. Ponder it with me. Fear not, my little flock. Why? Because it is your Father's pleasure 
our Father in heaven, not begrudgingly, not haltingly, not with, uh, with a lack of generosity, but from His good pleasure, He gives. You don't earn it. He gives you all things. That's why you're not afraid or you have reason to not fear. It reminds me of another passage from the book of Romans, chapter 8, in which the author says this, since God did not spare His own Son, referring, of course, to uh, the cross of Jesus, since God did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, will He not graciously give you all things? It's the same sentiment. Both, of, both, both passages telling us of God's generous care for you and me like a father with their child. And because He is our Father who gives, we need not worry. I'm convinced that what you and I need is not better advice. We don't need to make better commitments to managing our anxiety. It just doesn't work. What you need to hear, what I need to hear, is how Jesus addresses each one of us, like a father to a child, tucking their child into bed with one final kiss on the forehead. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. Your Father in heaven will care for you. I believe that's, that's what we need to hear. I wonder if you even can imagine it now. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? Fear not, little flock. Your Father in heaven will provide all things for you. And I think if we can hear those words, the results are nothing short of miraculous. Follow along with me and then just, this just very briefly. Fear not, little flock, verse 32. Your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now here's what we do, the response. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Right? So the result is just a, a freedom with the very cause of our anxiety, right? You recall that what's causing their anxiety? They, they're uncertain about the stuff in their life. And Jesus says, treat your stuff with liberal, with liberal um, very freely, recklessly. Now, by way of analogy, uh, my children are not worried about money. We try to teach them the value of, 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 of money. We give them allowance, and they uh, have chores for that allowance. Yet our efforts to teach them the value of money is undermined by, you know what? A credit card. See, here's the deal. See, that credit card to my children is like a little magical talisman. How does it work? I don't know. But you just wave it, and you get stuff. <laughs> Therefore, like... Oh, they treat their money with just reckless abandonment. They give it away. We find it in the, in the wash. They, you know, they just don't care about it. Why? Because mom and dad, they, they'll take care of it. Now, I know this is not a perfect analogy. I don't think Jesus is commending financial irresponsibility. But do you see the point? Because their father in heaven, because, well, their father on earth has this magical talisman called a credit card, they can be pretty free with their stuff. And the same is true for you. Whatever your cause of anxiety is, your Father in heaven knows it, and you can be free and reckless and carefree. Remember that story I mentioned about this uh, pastor who was, uh, fell, into a, uh, uh, fell into addiction? Well, it has a very happy ending. He was anxious that he would be found out, that his congregation would finally realize that who he really was. And therefore, he started medicating his anxiety. And when he reached kind of the nadir, right, when all the 
The wheels were coming off. He didn't manage his anxiety. <laughs> he didn't learn to cope with it better. He got on the offense. He kind of attacked that. He resigned from his church. He was completely and totally candid with his congregation. He had the same radical response to his anxiety as Jesus encouraged from his disciples. You see that Jesus' disciples were worried about their stuff. Jesus says, get rid of it. Treat it with recklessness. This person who was anxious about his reputation, about his standing in his community, he got rid of it. He just laid it down said, and placed it in God's hands. You see, each one of us know that in whatever's keeping you awake at night, scratching that itch is really not going to help, not for the long run. Like if you're anxious about stuff, more stuff doesn't help. Pastors who are anxious about Sunday mornings, one more successful Sunday morning really doesn't help. Like you got to get on the offense. That's what Jesus says. You're anxious about your stuff? Remember your Father in heaven and deal with it with reckless and carefree abandonment. Same thing that this pastor did. And so we got a choice. You see, I think most of us would actually prefer to keep God as our teacher or our therapist. Just listen to the good advice we'll try to implement on occasion. Jesus is not a teacher. Well, he is a teacher. He's more than that. He's not your therapist. He's more than a therapist. He's your father. And until you and I refer to him and believe that he is our heavenly father who graciously gives us all things, all we can do is manage it. And not very well. And so that's the choice in front of you. Are you tired of managing your anxiety? I am. Until we hear the words from Jesus Christ calling us his little flock, like a father speaking to a child, until we trust in our heavenly father, like a child trusts in their father, we will never, ever, ever be free from anxiety. Never free to live that reckless and fearless life that he offers. So, let's restate the question. Are you tired of managing your anxiety? Then hear the words from Jesus Christ. Fear not, my little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.